Your spiritual awakening is on the horizon. What you need is the secret wisdom of the ancients to unlock your limitless potential. Meet David Goddard, spiritual director of the Rising Phoenix Foundation. He is an author and international teacher. David shares with you rare spiritual knowledge that will transform your life. Here's David Goddard and Benjamin Phillips from the Rising Phoenix Foundation with your spiritual broadcast. Hello, David. How are you? Hello, Benjamin. I'm very well, thank you. Congratulations on our 10-year anniversary as the Rising Phoenix Foundation. Mm, and likewise, thank you. Well done. You managed to survive this long. Anyhow, um, we're talking about a very interesting subject today, the subject being King Solomon's ring. Um, King Solomon has spoken about quite a quite a bit in magical and mystical writings um i'm giving a bit of an intro here just to set the stage um probably more so than any other individual so i'm wanting to chat with you a little bit about king solomon the king and mage um you know there's a lot of grimoires or as they call them magical books associated with solomon the greater key and the lesser key of solomon uh, many magical rituals, symbols, talismans that have his name. Um, how did he end up getting like labeled as like this mage, king, whatever, what you would call him? I don't know. Well, both king and mage. Um, well, let's look at the background as it appears in, in the Bible. Solomon is the son of King David. King David, who'd slain Goliath and succeeded Saul. And he was the child by the adulterous relationship between Sol uh, between David and Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, after David's repentance and things, so then Solomon comes. And uh, David has several children, of course. and uh, But he passes the crown to Solomon. And then, this is the critical bit, Solomon um, goes to the holy place and has a vision or experience of God, and God says to him, oh, well, what do, you, what do you want, you know, to be a good king? So rather than ask for riches or victory over his enemies and all the usual stuff, he asked for wisdom. Mm -hmm so that he could be a good king. And uh, being anthropomorphic about it, God was so pleased with his answer that he gave him wisdom and gave him wealth beyond any other king alive, etc. Now, but you have to understand here the way the ancients are using the word wisdom. Um, even nowadays, when you say the word wise, we don't really know what we mean when we say, oh, somebody's wise. Mm-hmm. Um, we might, if they, we might, if they share the same views as us, say, "Oh, yes, they're incredibly wise." But for the ancients, wisdom was a very specific thing. It meant secret knowledge. Uh -huh. We would say esoteric knowledge. Right, right. And that's why we talk about wisdom traditions, isn't it? True. You know? Yeah. 
or in Vajrayana, the union of, you know, skillful means and, and wisdom and mm. things like that. So this is why there's this association uh, with it. And, of course, he goes on to build the temple. Up until then, the Ark of the Covenant, which had been formed under the vision of Moses, had wandered with the uh, Hebrews in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, of course, this is all symbolic code, you know, for, for many, many things. Yeah. Um, and then once the... Uh, uh, Judea or the kingdom of Israel was um, taken uh, the ark would again still wander from city to city King David wanted to build it a, a permanent residence for it on Mount Zion but because of his adultery with Bathsheba he was forbidden to do it hmm. but he bought the land for it and on his deathbed, he asks Solomon to fulfill his ambition to build a temple, you know, a house of the Lord. Right. Well. Okay, so um, in what other way did he did, did King Solomon become associated with magic? Oh, yes. Well, I should have said it. it's because of the building of the temple. Ah, okay. Um. And according to the to the legends, Solomon, uh, by magical use, forces the demons and and spirits to build the temple itself. Mm. Um, in, in in Masonic uh, legend and lore, the temple is built without the sound of any tools. Right. No hammer. No hammer. No chisel. No nothing. Mm -hmm. Of course, really, it's what it's trying to say is the real temple is thought built. Right. As I said, you know, the temple built with the temple, not built with hands, mm -hmm. eternal in the heavens. But anyway, in these legends, Solomon, by his magical knowledge and by the power of his ring in particular, compels the demons to build the temple. Um. Of course, this is really a, a reference to the spiritual practitioner's own self-purification. Temple often being, being used, isn't it, as a symbol for, for one's own physical body right. or one's own personality, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so compelling the demons to obey the will of the higher, you know, the crown, you know, someone's got mm -hmm. a crown, mm -hmm. you know. In Kabbalah, you can see the Keta symbolism of this it is um, is you know undertaking self purification, right? You know. um, <clears throat> but it's mainly in Arabic folklore that Solomon, there of course called Suleiman, mm -hmm. um, there are more f legends about Solomon in Arabic folklore than there are in Hebrew hmm. or Christian, Curious. or anywhere else. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> quickly jumping to something you mentioned just a second ago. So Solomon had this ring. I mean, how did he use the ring? I mean, where does the ring, how does the ring come into it? Yes. Um, there's the, um, the legend is that the archangel Mikael mm -hmm. 
the Archangel Michael brings Solomon this special seal, this ring from heaven. And while he has it on his hands, he has all of these great powers. Sometimes the seal, the, um, the ring, because it's engraved with what's called the seal of Solomon, is sometimes thought of as being a six-pointed star that people often associate with Judaism nowadays, a symbol for Judaism. It's mm -hmm. on the flag of the State of Israel. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's a very late symbol in Judaism. Um, but nevertheless, it's still known as the Seal of Solomon. And one of the things that uh, um, Solomon did is, because this seal was also, you know, the symbol of the divine, mm. the symbol of the symbol of God. Therefore, the spirits were obedient to it. So while he wore it, they would obey what he said, and they would come before him and bow their heads, and he, he would tell them what to do. And then he would touch the ring to the back of their necks. Mm. That's interesting when we've spoken once or twice about uh, mental magic and the back of the neck, the medulla oblongata being the entrance to the subconscious mind. Right, yeah. Um, and so then they were bound to him. They were vowed by it. And then also later on, of course, there's the famous... Uh, thing which appears later on also in the Arabian Nights, where Solomon takes the disobedient demons and puts them into a brass vessel, puts mm. a lid on top, and seals it with the ring and casts it into the sea. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen those a very very old film now, but but we've all seen films like it, you know, where Alibaba or somebody breaks open the seal and this smoke comes out and out comes the genie. Yeah. And 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 in um Arabic folklore it's mainly the genie who Solomon rules. That's a curious thing because it's not so well understood in Christian thinking or Jewish thinking except by mages of course, but in Islam it's quite strong. Um uh, where you have what I call the extremists, right? those of light, the holy angels, and those of the shadow, yeah. the demons. Oh, in Hebrew, the shadim, the demons, and the malakim, the angels. Mm. But in Islam, there are the in-betweeners, okay. who, like human beings, are a mix. Mm-hmm. Now, in fact, that is the true situation. If you go to the astral plane, the majority of beings there, like humans, are admixtures. Right. You couldn't say the elven people were all totally good or all totally evil. You couldn't say that most spirits you bump into on the astral plane are totally good or totally... Most of them are admixtures. And, but in, in Islam, this is very well developed, and so... You have those who choose to serve Allah and those who don't. Right. Um, and so it's a far more kind of re realistic thing. And so um, the jinn, the singular being genie, mm -hmm. is, is from which uh, um, that Solomon uses. Whereas in the Hebraic legends, it's 
it's the Shedim, the, the demons headed by Asmodeus that Solomon rules over. There's a lovely, um, I'd like to read you, it's very short. It's an extract from a piece of Islamic folklore about Solomon yeah, and, and the ring. It's, uh, in the crown of Suleiman the wise, may peace be upon him, there was a stone, and this stone was that which is the first matter of creation, holy and terrible. But on the hand of the king was a ring, and in the ring was another secret, more holy and terrible than the stone, for within the ring there was a point of that light, which is the spirit of creation, the adornment of the unity, the knowledge of the loveliness, the divine image in the mirror of the worlds, just and true. This was the justice and wisdom of Suleiman, by which all souls were made manifest to him and all causes rightly determined. And when in the Holy of Holies of the temple he laid his crown upon the ark between the wings of the cherubim and held his hand over it, the light of the ring shone upon the stone and all things had peace. And when he sat upon his throne and they gazed upon him, the steps of his throne, with six lions statues on either side. And the throne itself was carved out of sapphire, deep and clear. And on the throne the king sat with his crown on his head. And in the crown was the stone, and it shone with a soft whiteness. And in it, amid the gold, a deep blackness, the letters of fire of the name were moving and glowing. And before Solomon... The companies assembled, the companies of the doctors of the law and the ambassadors from many lands, and the awful jinn, and the angels, diabolic or divine, who waited upon the word of Suleiman ben Daud, king in Jerusalem, and saw that his right hand was closed upon his robed knee. But when he lifted his hand slowly up, the whole assemblage bowed themselves to the ground, and when he opened his hand, there leapt forth from it a blinding light. Hmm. Very powerful. This it's in a poetic form, but it's very good, I think. Very. Yeah. So interesting. Okay, so um Solomon is particularly associated with ceremonial magic. I mean mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit yes. more about that? Yes. Uh, Solomonic magic is a is probably the most elaborate of the Western forms. Um, and it's got many talismans and magic circles and diagrams and prayer weapons and staffs and swords and daggers and censers and, and robes, of course. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, triangles, all the things you, all the things you hear about, you know, triangles of invocation, and things all go back to the Solomonic, uh, Solomonic thing. Um, and there's the greater and lesser keys of Solomon, as you referred to. Now, there are whole collections of uh, talismans. There's about seven talismans for each of the seven planets, and they all have their rulerships and uses. It's a very, it's a very, very detailed system. And... Um, when you read it and it gives all the rules for invoking these various beings, 
and then it talks about when they should be called and how, and it gives the invocations for them, often always using the divine names. I mean, it's a, it's a Kabbalistic system. Mm. <clears throat> According to legend, it's supposed to be written by Solomon to his son, Reboam, who's going to succeed him as king of um, Israel. And the, uh, the invocations go on forever. They get fiercer and fiercer, you know, it starts mm -hmm. off like, I mean, I'm paraphrasing this and I'm deliberately doing it tongue in cheek. Because it is a very heavy subject, but it starts off like, well, would you mind terribly coming to, for a visit? I've got some cucumber sandwiches and some Earl Grey tea. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the triangle's still empty. And then it's like, oi, you, are you deaf? Come here and do, or else by the power of God, I will, blah, blah. and it builds up in intensity and intensity. Becoming, if you were talking about to a human being, you would say becoming ruder and more threatening as time goes by. <laughs> and finally, in the Goetia, if a, if a spirit misbehaves, there's, a, there's the Solomonic curse of a rebellious or unclean spirit, which actually is rather short compared to the paragraph. Oh, surprising. The paragraph. And it simply says to the spirit, of the company of heaven curse thee, the sun, moon, and all the stars curse thee, let the light of all the holy ones of heaven curse thee, unto the burning flame that liveth forever, and unto the torment unspeakable. Which probably means going to live in Los Angeles, I should think. But there you are. <laughs> well, it is, isn't it the city of the fallen angels or something? Somebody tell me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it definitely, not all of it is. So anyway, the Solomonic magic is, is very, very elaborate and very, very demanding. Mm -hmm. So do, do many people actually practice Solomonic magic? Well, actually, not as many as you might think. Huh. Most people have read it. Yeah. You know, most would-be mages in their teens read it and things. Um, but the elaborate requirements put them off. <laughs> Fair but enough. Then they're, but then they're meant to. Mm -hmm. What people don't understand about this is this is very well understood still in the Eastern wisdom schools where we talk about twilight language. Right. Twilight means when something has a double meaning. The initiated understand what it means, but the uninitiated don't understand what's being said. Mm -hmm. and, and Kabbalah is no exception to this. So, for example, when... In the medieval language, it talks about something should be inscribed with the blood of a bat. Right. Well, that should put you off straight away. <laughs> but nevertheless, in the Twilight language, what it really means is the special, the special meditations that are only done at midnight, a bat being mm -hmm. hit, and the, the, the light power the blood, the essence of those meditations must be infused into this particular object before it can be used. Hmm. That's just an example. Okay. It's impossible for a, um, somebody to practice Solomonic magic who isn't already thoroughly versed in Kabbalah. Hmm. I'm that, that's, sure. how it, that's what it's for. Really. Right. So um, it, it's still used um, but those who use it well, well and um, in its fullness are, are, are quite few. I'm sure. Okay. Um, looking a little bit at sort of the 
what one just reads as a as a basic um history of solomon i guess at 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 the end he falls from grace um which i i assume is symbolic for something i mean what is yes. what is that all about and well in, in the text what happens is of course um solomon ends up with many many wives well that's not his fall from grace though one might say he had less time for anything else but anyway yeah. that's not the problem the problem is that um you bear in mind who the authors of these books in the Bible are, that many of his uh, consorts and queens come from neighboring kingdoms where they're like political alliances. Hmm. And, of course, they're allowed to worship their own gods. Well, that's not so much the problem. That's kind of taken as a, as a usual thing in those circles. But then they ask him to that they can build shrines to their gods in the land of kingdom of Israel, hmm. which he gives permission to. And later on, they kind of plead with him to come and worship with them their gods, which he does. Hmm. And, of course, in the monotheistic system of, you know, the Old Testament, this is anathema. Sure. And so, you know, the Lord turns his face from it. But because... He has served God so well, um, it goes that he himself will um, will not. Um, the results of the sin will not be visited on him, but no one afterwards, you know, the kingdom will fracture. Hmm. No, it, you know, its fame and prosperity that Israel had had under him will never be seen again, and you know. And so then you have, because there are many books in the Bible attributed to Solomon. There's the Song of Songs, of course, and mm. Proverbs and things like that. And this is when you have the famous line attributed to Solomon, where he's been this great, powerful ruler with all wealth and all wisdom. And because of his, his, over, his overweening pride, really, is what is his downfall, um, when he hears what's now going to happen to his people and in the future because of him, he then makes the pronouncement, vanity, vanity, all is vanity and vexation of the spirit. Mm. You can hear the despair in him. Mm. Well, he's very similar in this to uh, King Arthur. Yeah. King Arthur, too, in, you know, in, in that mythos. You know, he's, uh, he brings healing to the land. He brings oneness. He, he initiates a golden age, Camelot, right. that shines, like Jerusalem with the great Temple of Solomon, mm -hmm. you know, and um, law and peace and tranquility comes. And then again, there, there's this fall, you know, and the land becomes wasted and, and, and vanishes. It will never be the same. And so, um, and really what the, both... Both of these are uh, lessons. The true spiritual adept always works by and with the divine authority. Hmm. Pride is when a person gets so used to doing it, they think, oh, well, I'll just do it. Over and over again in Scripture, both in the East and in the West, this warning is given. It was the downfall of Moses. Hmm. When finally at the end, rather than calling upon the name itself, 
he thought in his own power he was going to bring forth water from the rock. And therefore, in punishment, he was told he would never enter into the promised land. The punishments always seem to be very, very severe, don't they? Mm. But there's a big thing in this, and, and listeners should be very aware of this. There's a saying in Zohar that it's not fitting for a commoner to lay hands upon the scepter of the king, meaning that the cosmic mind is the one reality from whom all power flows. And that is our ultimate inmost self. But should we allow the lower self, the ego, to usurp that power, mm. the consequences are always very dire. Right. I'm dealing with somebody at the moment who's going through a painful, potentially fatal disease because of her tamperings with small magics, you know, in, in New Age circles, which is all me, 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 and entitlement, 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 mm. and things. And this is this is not what these things are, uh, things are for. And so, what would seem to us to be like a small thing for a, um, for a great practitioner, the the punishments are greater. And I don't want to try to give the impression there's some god walking around beating people up. It's the consequences of one's own actions. Hmm. If you're laying hand, I mean, you know, the Ring of Solomon and all these other great items of power are really ways of saying that person has now, through their own development, can lay their hand, so to speak, upon the fount of power that lights the stars, hmm. that is the source of life itself. Therefore, if they, if they abuse that, the karmic consequences automatically kick in. You know, hmm. To one to whom great power has been entrusted, much will be required, is the saying. Yeah. You know? um, and so Solomon is an example of that, of here the pagan gods really mean chasing after all the different appetites all the the diverse crowds of mm. things, whereas before he'd been focused vertically upon the one reality and had been a conduit for that. Right. And the same thing happens with Arthur, of course. Yeah. So, and as a result, you know, if a, if a true adept, um, who, because they work with the divine authority, if they fall, if they turn away from that, then their works will slowly crumble and become undone. Hmm. Now, you know, I guess some people would say that Solomon is real because he's in the Bible, whereas King Arthur, in in a broader sense, is considered a, a legend. I mean, what is your comment about that? Well, scripture, of course, is is poetry. It's not. Um, it's not journalism. Right. They were written by wise people. The rabbis themselves say, the man who interprets scripture literally is a fool. Hmm. That's what the rabbis themselves say, and they were the authors of the first part of it, knowing that it's all meant to be a teaching device. You know, I mean, there's still a practice to this day. You can take any single book of the Bible Genesis, Ezekiel, Daniel, whatever it is, 
and read the text as a meditation in which you play the part of the chief character hmm. and the other characters in it are lesser aspects of you and you will find the most profound teachings coming out of that, those contemplations hmm. as well as of course as you know all the esoteric secrets that are held in the text right i mean people forget it, it's almost impossible for a modern person to get their head around really i mean because when people talk about like other secret texts in the, in the bible of course you get all this silly damn brown stuff and running around that every single sentence it doesn't it means certain key terms there are certain key terms the the nouns the, na the names of people and places mm. measurements these have deep esoteric meaning which a kabbalist you know understands mm. um but i remember once listening to a tibetan lama who explained how when buddhism was taken to tibet um the tibetans were illiterate right and it was the Indian sages who first bought Sanskrit and alphabet. Mm. But then once Buddhism took root, they had to not only make an alphabet, they had to reconfigure the Tibetan language so that it could accurately translate with as little distortion as possible the metaphysical terms of Sanskrit mm. in which the original Buddhist teachings came. Mm -hmm. It took them centuries to do it. Yeah. I used to wonder why some of the big Tibetan uh, teachers have the title Lotsava, meaning a translator. And, you know, why was this big fuss about uh, he just translated? It wasn't, I mean, he had to like, he had to redo the entire Tibetan language. Hmm. You know, so I'm just using it as an example of, you know, this is really what the book of life, what the, what the Bible is. Um, it may well have some history in it, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on it. And certainly to this date, there is no hard evidence um, from, you know, uh, all the uh, stuff that goes on in Jerusalem, um, looking at the ruins and things. There's no hard evidence for a Davidic empire, for King David or for Solomon. Hmm. And for, any more than there is for King Arthur. Therefore, does that make, make it meaningless from, from the point of view of an esotericist? No, not in the slightest, because we never were bothered whether it was real or not. It was, what does this teach us? And once we've learned it, does it work? Right. And because it works, that's all we're really concerned about. Mm. You know. So, but Solomon is still a great example of, um, because, he, because he happens to be a king and a mage, I'm always reminded of the French occultist Eliphas Levy, who was talking about um, how the magician should think of his or herself in daily life. He's writing the end of the 1800s, and he said, 
He should think of himself as a king in exile, as a royal priest. Hmm. This is what Solomon is, configures. Right. Interesting. Because if you look at if you look at the mage going into the sacred circle of the magical temple, you know he or she is is vested like, like a priest and crowned like a king or queen. Hmm. That's the attitude. That's the mental attitude they take. Right. Is that they are a, you know a, a, a priest king or, or a priestess queen. Hmm empowered by the divine having the divine authority okay now to jump back to um to something that you raised that when we started which is this queen sheba i mean what what part does she play in all of this hmm she's a very marvelous thing balkis queen of sheba mm-hmm so the legend is, of course, she, she hears about Solomon and his wisdom, and she goes to Jerusalem, and uh, she tempts him, and um, the, the, the Midrash, the, the things by the rabbis about her aren't very polite at all, because they were uh, a bit of a misogynist mob, best of times. And um, finally she goes back to, her, back to Sheba, having learned some wisdom from him. The esoteric thing is is far more clear. It says that um, Sheba goes, Queen of Sheba goes to Solomon, goes to Jerusalem, where she falls in love with God. There's this whole kind of um, sacred consort thing running around in this, kind of like a, a, a Shakti energy running through it. And according to several folklores, um, Balkis, Queen of Sheba, is impregnated by Solomon and she returns to her homeland. There are various places who, who each claim to be Sheba, but esoterically, and most of the others go for it, being Ethiopia, underneath Egypt. And uh, she goes there and she gives birth to the male son, Menelik, who becomes the first Negus, the first emperor of Ethiopia, with the title, the Lion of Judah. And down through the ages until the last um, uh, emperor of Ethiopia, um, Haile Selassie, um, they all bore the title, Lion of Judah, because they claimed descent from Solomon. But what's even more interesting, of course, is there's the, um, well, when I say belief, I don't just mean an invisible belief. There is the belief that in the church behind the Cathedral of Aksum is the original Ark of the Covenant. And there's a priest there who guards it, and nobody else may, is allowed to look on it because it will strike them dead. You know, he's he's a priest of you know, great purity and hermits and things. Two years ago, the patriarch of the Ethiopian church on a visit to Rome said it was time to show this to the world and things. And he gets back to Ethiopia and all the other bishops of his church say, no, 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 no. So he said, oh, no, sorry. Obviously, it's not the time yet. So that's a fascinating thing. That hmm. The idea is that Sheba, when she leaves Jerusalem... She's carrying not only the seed of Solomon in her womb, 
Solomon gives them hmm. the ark, and some say the ring, ah. which then goes down into Ethiopia. Interesting. Ethiopia is a very, very interesting esoteric part of the equation. Hmm. But I think we'll have to leave that. Worth coming back to. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Thanks so much for that, David. That was King Solomon's Ring with David Goddard from the Rising Phoenix Foundation. I'm Benjamin Phillips. And as I said, he's David Goddard. You're listening to your spiritual broadcast. And you can find the show uh, on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can subscribe and rate the show. If you've got any questions, please email us. The email address to use is questions at yourspiritualbroadcast.com. I don't really think there's anything else. Is there any last comments? Rising Phoenix Foundation is now 10 years old. Here we go. So we've got our mission of blazing spirit for this year, which Benjamin will keep you all informed about. Absolutely. We're going to make this a mega year for spiritual enlightenment. So join us. Absolutely. Let's let's make this world a more light-filled place. Wonderful. Thanks, David. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Benjamin. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from him.